You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back to The Corbett Report, friends. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on the 13th day of June, 2015. Welcome to episode 306 of The Corbett Report podcast, Solutions, Laughing at Tyrants. Now, I'm sure we are all familiar with that old adage about laughter being the best medicine, and some of you out there may even be familiar with the voluminous and growing amount of material in the medical literature that proves that this is not just a saying, this is literally true, with laughter improving circulation and boosting the immune system, reducing pain and relieving stress and easing indigestion and balancing blood pressure and a whole host of other medical bodily benefits as well as psychological benefits, including improving alertness, improving mental functioning and memory and boosting creativity. But all of that aside, all of those other benefits of laughter and comedy aside, what about the idea that laughter is also one of the best ways to slay tyrants. I have certain rules I live by. My first rule, I don't believe anything the government tells me. Nothing. Zero. And I gotta tell you folks, I don't get all choked up about yellow ribbons and American flags. I consider them, I consider them to be symbols and I leave symbols to the symbol-minded. You know he armed Iraq. I, I wondered about that, too. You know, during the Persian Gulf War, those intelligence reports would come out. Iraq, incredible weapons. Incredible weapons. How do you know that? Oh, well. <laughs> we looked at the receipt. <laughs> Democracy is the worst kind. I'm sorry, but it is. We get to pick our leaders. Well... What if I don't want a leader? Where does that vote go? I do good on my own. I don't want to be led. Is that, is that freedom? Okay, on that subject then, have you watched the conventions? Republican convention, uh, Democratic convention? No. I think if you watch those, you're an idiot. <laughs> I don't understand why you would sit there wasting your time. They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then they could, the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy. They've been on both horses, and then it just kind of goes. You know, it's not for you. This is insanity. You can't have a war on terror. You're having a war on terror, are you? That's right. What does war create? Uh. <laughs> terror. Exactly. So you're having a war against the consequence of the actions you're involved in. Let's think about what we just saw there, because I think anyone who is a committed follower of the alternative media will know, probably from first-hand experience, raising these types of transgressive issues in mixed company is more likely to elicit anger, and perhaps even bodily violence than it is to elicit laughter in most situations or a comfortable mood. And yet here we have people going up on stage and saying some of the most transgressive things that you can think to say in polite mixed society and getting entire crowds, entire rooms, in some cases entire arenas full of people to laugh along with you about those very topics. That's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? 
And this is something that we've broached before on the podcast. We did, for example, take a look at the ways that truth, that comedy can exist in some sort of relation, uh, perhaps most notably in episode 236 of this podcast, Peeling the Onion, where we took a look at the onion and the way it can reveal truths sometimes in behind their comedy and laughter and sometimes cover up truths behind their comedy and laughter. But today, let's explore a little in a little greater detail that nexus of truth and comedy and the philosophy behind Behind what's going on here, because I think if we understand this, there is a powerful tool here that is at our fingertips, that is at our disposal, that can be used to really do something, to really affect a change in the minds of the audience that is hearing this type of comedy. Because as I think we can all understand, if we are adults above a certain age and have had any experience in this world, comedy is not just comedy. It's not just you go and switch off your brain and laugh about something. There is something deeper going on. And this, without getting too much into the deep philosophy of all of this, although I find that fascinating, I realize most of you out there who maybe weren't philosophy minors in your undergrad days won't find that quite as interesting, but I think there is something of direct relevance to the subjects that we cover here and how best to approach this question, this problem that I continue to get asked. How do we bring this information to other people? Because people will just shut down when they hear 9-11 was an inside job or whatever along those lines. Well, now, if comedy is a tool, how can that tool be used to broach subjects that otherwise would be unbroachable? One of the theories behind what makes comedy funny, what is this reaction we have to uh, something that's funny and suddenly we're doing this bizarre biological reaction of laughing, how does this happen? Why does this happen? Why are such a disparate range of things considered to be funny? There are a lot of theories that have been posited over the, the years. I mean, this goes back at least a century and a bit to Freud positing his own ideas. But let's go to some of the... a consensus that seems to be emerging on the idea that fundamentally comedy is about benign violation. The idea that there is something that is being transgressed, some border that is being crossed, some boundary that is being pushed but in a way that it doesn't threaten the audience. They can have some measure of psychological distance from it, and so they, they laugh and they, they enjoy it. They're suddenly comfortable with the idea because it's been placed in a very different frame of reference that makes it acceptable. So, uh, there again, there's a lot of people who have talked about this, but interestingly enough, five years ago, there were two researchers from the University of Colorado who published an article in the Psycho Psychological Science Journal about this idea, the benign violations making immoral behavior funny, which is the results of their uh, their their research into this phenomenon, and they they identified three conditions that make a violation benign and thus humorous. Firstly, the presence of an alternative norm suggesting that the situation is acceptable. Secondly, weak commitment to the violated norm, and thirdly, psychological distance from that violation. And if you combine those three in the right way, in the right context with the right delivery and the right timing, you can get people to laugh at things that they, under other circumstances, might become angry or defensive about. That's important, because I think this is one way of getting in behind those psychological defenses and barriers that are erected around people's minds to prevent some of these mind viruses from penetrating, some of that uncomfortable truth from getting in past the gatekeepers that are not just out Side, not just these amorphous blob entities out there, 
the gatekeepers, to a certain extent, are in our own mind. They've been placed there. Oh, that's conspiracy theory. I must reject that violently, or or what have you. One way in past that goal, goalie, as it were, is to use humor as a way to inject that directly into this, the, uh, the bloodstream of the listener. All right, so this is all heady philosophical talk about a, what should be a very humorous subject, but I think, again, this is important because it goes to the heart of a very important delivery method for this truth information that really can unlock minds. And again, I do speak from experience uh, on this point, having created the 9-11 conspiracy theory video that is still far and away my far and away best known work and one that most people will cite whenever they talk to me or introduce me or, or, or encounter my work. It's 9-11 conspiracy theory, that funny 9-11 video, the 9-11 in five minutes, whatever people are calling it. Uh, is has been remarkably successful in getting a lot of people to take a look at issues regarding 9-11 that otherwise would be unthinkable. We can't think about it. But here's a little funny little presentation. It puts it in a way that, okay, it's a violation, but it's kind of it's kind of benign. We have a little bit of psychological distance here. Okay, it's kind of funny. It's absurd. Oh, I get it. Is that true? What, what does that mean? Where Where is that information coming from? And it can be, I speak from experience again, it can be a very effective way of opening conversations with people who otherwise cannot be reached. But I know what you're thinking, this is remarkably light on humor for a truth comedy podcast, so let's get to the meat and potatoes, why we're all here. It's one thing to talk about the philosophy of comedy and how and why it works in the minds of the, the audience, it's another thing to actually see it in action. So. When I think of excellent examples of truth comedy out there, the first and foremost name that comes to mind in this day and age is The Joy Camp. And if you're not familiar with their work, I hope you will become so. Please go to thejoycamp.com or you can go to youtube.com slash thejoycamp and you can find all of their videos that they've produced over the last few years, uh, satirizing, poking fun at everything from Obamacare and the TSA to the NSA scandals and all of this going on. You've probably run across some of their work before, even if you didn't know it was them, the Conspiracy Guy series or other popular videos uh, that they have online. And it was my pleasure to meet and actually talk to one of the key creators behind the Joy Camp, Benny Wills, back in Acapulco earlier this year when I was there for Anarchapoco. And I managed to record a conversation with him. The full conversation is up on the Corbett Report right now. But why don't we just take and listen to a little bit of that conversation and watch one of the Joy Camp's, I think, funniest videos. Joy Camp, Joy Camp, everybody loves the Joy Camp. It's not TV or conspiracy, it's just old-fashioned comedy. It's Joy Camp, Joy Camp. Um, Joy Camp is a YouTube comedy channel where we try to spread truth through comedy and awareness. How long have you been doing it? We've been doing it for exactly three years, to the day almost. Wow. Yeah, I think our launch date was like March 7th, 2012, so almost exactly three years. At the risk of asking a question that you've been asked a million times before, why did you start Wow, that, that, well, that's a kind of a complicated question. Um, I started because I have, well, I'll say we, because there's more than one person involved with Joy Camp. My friends and I all have uh, entertainment backgrounds. 
I come from a theater background, and Kevin, who's the co-creator of Joy Camp, he comes from just making film, a filmmaker background. He started making films with his friends when he was a kid, and I started doing acting and theater when I was a kid. And we also both woke up, quote unquote, woke up around the same time, actually about 11 years ago now. And, and we also had great senses of humor. Like we've always loved to laugh and make people laugh. And it was sort of a marrying of all these things. So all that theater training, acting training, plus his filmmaking ability and editing ability, plus our awareness that was ever expanding, um, all wrapped up into one. And it was as soon as we figured out that that was what we could do to contribute towards a, a better cause, it was like a no-brainer. It was like, oh, wow, we can, we can, do, we can marry these worlds. Because for a long time, they were separate. So it was personal re-education on part of the day and the other part of the day would be training to be an actor and then realizing that I could combine the two and actually do something for the good. Did you have any influences going into it? Yeah, man, we have so many influences. I think primarily we were really influenced by Bill Hicks and George Carlin because they are sort of truth comedians. Um, but just growing up with comedy in general, like loving Monty Python. For me, the Animaniacs, remember this show in the early 90s cartoon and Fox was a huge influence for me as a kid. Um, yeah, I mean, just humor in general, sketch comedy. And people like Jim Carrey was a huge influence for both Kevin and me as, as children. So yeah, and then I think Bill Hicks and George Carlin really kicked it into gear and then when they we're both gone. I mean, Bill Hicks has been gone for a while, but then when George Carlin died a few years ago, there was a serious void for intelligent humor. I think the most intelligent you could get was from The Daily Show or The Colbert Report, and, you know, The Daily Show doesn't seem to be helping anything. Um, for instance, Jon Stewart, when Jon Stewart holds up a sign to the camera that says 9-11 was an outside job, he's not helping anything. He's perpetuating a myth and getting more people who, he's getting people that perhaps were starting to wake up, but who follow Jon Stewart to then take Jon Stewart's word as gospel. So he's not helping anything. So I think that that's totally undermining any sort of uh, progress that we have in that regard. But having said that, every single person listening to this conversation, except someone who accidentally strayed to this part of the internet and is very lost, <laughs> knows about the propaganda matrix and you know the, the, the networks and who controls the networks and what's allowed on TV and what isn't. Right. But I want to concentrate today on the other side of that. Please. Because Joy Camp is the other side of that, I think. Mm -hmm. And work, you know, channels like that or, or ideas like that can be the other side. Because we always talk about propaganda and how it seeps in through the media and even our entertainment. So everyone's, you know, scrutinizing all these movies and everything for the propaganda message, as they should be, because we should be aware we're being indoctrinated. Yeah. The question becomes, can you fight fire with fire? Can you use culture creation, which we usually think of in that negative sense, in a positive sense? Well, it depends on what you classify as fire, I suppose. I mean, we definitely don't consider what we're doing as fighting. We consider what we're doing as lightening it up, almost like putting water on the fire so people can not be so against the information. You know, we're using humor to break down people's defenses. Um, so if someone's fiery, we're like, splashing gentle, loving, comedic water all over them so that they might be more willing to 
have an open mind about a certain topic. And we, we try to do it with finesse so that our comedy isn't preachy. We'll bring up subjects that are definitely taboo and controversial and not funny at all, but we try not to tell you how we feel about it. You can get a sense, just because if you get a sense of our channel, you, get, you see where we're coming from, but we don't want to tell you how to think. So we're trying to get people to acknowledge an issue that they maybe have been trying to ignore and then offer to them as like, here, this is something that you might want to pay attention to so that they can go and then do their own research and learn about it and come to their own conclusion and maybe have us just be there to hold their hand through it. You know, give them that initial push. iPhone 5 NSA is the best surveillance device to date. It is a meticulously designed tracker, recorder, and data collector. Every single government agency, authority, and police officer has been considered to make sure iPhone 5 NSA can keep you safe and protect your freedom. This care, this consideration, it extends to how we collect information pertaining to you and everyone you know. And it's what led us to create Touch ID, the largest name to fingerprint database in the world. Touch ID defines the next step of how we use your iPhone. With just a touch of your home button, Touch ID reads your fingerprint so you can collect the latest apps or purchase shiny new Apple products, while we track your location through GPS and transmit data back to corporations and government. Our employees are literally working around the clock, in some cases 12 hours a day, six days a week, to assemble each iPhone 5 NSA individually. And now we require all of them to sign an anti-suicide pledge to ensure our production meets your, the consumer's, demand. And just in case that doesn't work, we've installed suicide nets all along the perimeter of our 24-to-a-room dormitories to gently catch even the most demoralized and broken down souls and safely return them to the workplace so there's enough iPhones for you and your entire family. iPhone 5 NSA uses speech recognition technology so you don't have to bother yourself with remembering things or consulting your brain for any information ever again. Just ask it for the time, the day of the week, what your name is, sports scores, anything really you can ask it anything. It puts your brain in your hand and into our database. We've also developed what we like to call blackout technology, which allows authorities to block video and photos whenever they feel your security is in danger. For instance, if a political rally is ambushed by a conspiracy theorist demanding answers, the police can black out every phone in the crowd so his questions are never heard or seen by anyone. Reporters, do your job, please! Ask some questions. And once he's silenced and his coordinates are locked in, iPhone 5 NSA takes care of the rest. Just a question, man. How are we supposed to know the truth when we can't even ask a question? It was just a question. That's all it was iPhone 5 NSA, aiming to put your freedom in the crosshairs.
Once again, Benny Wills of The Joy Camp, thejoycamp.com. I hope you will check out their work if you haven't yet done so, but I hope you do know by this point that I don't just talk about this particular form of tyrant slaying, I dabble in it myself, and obviously 9-11 A Conspiracy Theory is the best-known example of my own truth comedy, but there are many others besides, and they often take on the satirical uh, slant from my sarcastic sense of humor, so the 9-11 Conspiracy Theory, OKC Conspiracy Theory, JFK Conspiracy Theory are all examples of that sarcastic uh, sat satirical slant on truth comedy. As long as well as some of the, the lesser known examples like how to foil your own terror plot or danger, nullification, uh, nullify the NSA is spreading, or even shut up, conspiracy theorist. They walk among us, they breathe our air shop at our stores, drive on our streets. They are conspiracy theorists, people who make the outrageous claim that people in positions of power conspire to consolidate and expand that power. Their notions are absurd, their pronouncements are insane, and their ideas are dangerous. As a civilization, we have moved beyond giving hemlock to those who would corrupt our young. In this day and age, we just respond to them in a firm and dismissive manner, making clearly visible to all in the immediate area that this person is a conspiracy theorist and not to be debated with. Resident expert and 30-year CIA operations officer Dewey Claridge demonstrates. Don't give me the, don't give me the conspiracy bullshit. Come on. You're, you're a more intelligent man than that. Come on, come on. I mean, come on. Listen, listen, there has never been a conspiracy in this country. This is how to respond to a conspiracy theorist. Quickly, firmly, and disparagingly. To simplify, let's reduce the response to this. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. Observe. I mean, let's remember here, the people we are fighting today, we funded 20 years ago. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. You know, is spending a million dollars on that last three months of life for that patient... Would it be better not to lay off the, those 10 teachers and to make that trade-off in medical costs? But that's called the death panel, uh, and you're not supposed to have that discussion. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. I, I will tell you, Director Deutsch, as a former Los Angeles police narcotics detective, that the agency has dealt drugs throughout this country for a long time. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. For variety the eminently rational Penn and Teller present an alternative response. We're Penn and Teller, and conspiracy theories are bullshit. Good job, boys. Let's try again. If there is any conference which required transparency, which required democratic accountability, it is the Bilderberg Conference. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. Good job, Mr. President. I don't believe in this notion of some sort of secret societies controlling people. But, of course, in any political system, there are sort of over-the-table and under-the-table arrangements. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. What do you want me to talk about? 
Yeah. A fraud? No, it wasn't a fraud, but I'll be glad to talk to you if you'll shut up and let me talk. The United States government actually did carry out on our citizens experiments involving radiation. In one experience, scientist experiment, scientists injected plutonium into 18 patients without their knowledge. In another, doctors exposed indigent cancer patients to excessive doses of radiation, a treatment from which it is virtually impossible that they could ever benefit. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. Were U.S. government officials aware of drug smuggling in and around the Contra movement? And did they simply choose to ignore it? One U.S. senator says, absolutely. There's no question in my mind there is a complicity in the flow of drugs into this country, period. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. Also, are you a member of, were you a member of Skull and Bones from college and Bush? Were you in the same secret society as Bush? Were you in Skull and Bones? Thank you for cutting my mic. Thank you. Are you going to arrest me? Excuse me. Excuse me. What are you arresting me for? Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't chase me. I think Any questions? This public service announcement was brought to you by the friends of the Department of Homeland Security, the Information Awareness Office, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, the President's Working Group on Financial Matters, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Rhodes Roundtable Group, and the Bohemian Club. And remember, ignorance is strength. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. Yes, I hope that does catch on as a catchphrase. But uh, it, satire is not the only way that we can approach comedy and truth and merge these two subjects. I think there are a lot of other techniques out there at our disposal, one of which comes from an unlikely source, the Dadaists of the 1920s. They had a technique which was popularized by William Burroughs of the Beat Generation, a generation later in the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s, the cut-up technique, taking a speech, for example, a political speech, for example, and cutting it up and rearranging it all and mixing in some other things to make something completely different out of it. And to make it absurd, to make it ridiculous, to make it something laughable? Well, I think so. And if it's done, obviously it can be done in a very dataist, surreal way, which is just kind of strange and disorienting, or it can be done, I think, for certain purposes, to make people laugh and then really think about what they're laughing at. And I hope that's what I was able to accomplish by my video that I released a couple of years ago, uh, Stuff Government Says. Our national interest ought to be to encourage the best, best and the brightest. Word about the president. For seven and a half years, I've worked alongside him, and I'm proud to have been his partner. And we've had triumphs. We've made some mistakes. We've had some sex setbacks. <laughs> In Australia, we have serious challenges to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. We have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. Congress says a slice of pizza qualifies as a vegetable because it has two tablespoons of tomato paste. Poor people aren't necessarily killers. Just because you happen to be not rich doesn't mean you're willing to kill. Please know what will come your way. Death, detention, prosecution. Uh, that was pretty strong language yesterday. Uh, you're with us, or you're a child uh, pornography sympathizer. Do you, what did you mean by that? Well, uh, I, I didn't exactly say that, uh, Don. In fact, it was a far cry from that. He can either stand with us 
or with the child pornographers? Well, I, I didn't exactly say that, uh, Don. Unfortunately, Tony Abbott is not the least bit interested in fixing anything. Bob Rumson is not the least bit interested in solving it. Now, you know that guy ain't shit. Sorry, as my got nothing on me, right? Nothing. Right now, China, the government, can disconnect parts of its internet in the case of war. We need to have that. It appears that there were not weapons of mass destruction there. You said you knew where they were. I did not. I said I knew where suspect sites were. And you, we said, were just you said you knew where they were, near Tikrit, near Baghdad, and northeast, south, and west of there. Those are your words. By my outstanding education secretary, Arnie Duncan. <laughs> you set up the presidential podium and a teleprompter in a sixth grade classroom. <laughs> Here's what health care means to you. Let's say you develop coups. Suspicious surveillance activity may include making notes on maps, drawing diagrams, using vision enhancing devices such as binoculars, or showing interest in the security and access points to facilities. Someone missing fingers on their hands is a suspect, according to the Department of Justice. That's right. People who pay for small purchases in cash, like coffee or gum, apparently that's a big red flag. Someone who has more than seven days of food in their house can be considered a potential terrorist. What's the problem? Did you ask him for a credit card? Yeah, I did. He said he doesn't have one. He doesn't use them. No credit cards? If you see something suspicious in the parking lot or in the store, say something immediately. Report suspicious activity to your local police or sheriff. If you need help, ask a Walmart manager for assistance. He's only interested in two things, making Australians afraid of it and telling them who's to blame for it. He is interested in two things, and two things only, making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. Uh, I've now been in 50 seven states I think one left to go and when they say I want my lawyer you tell them shut up your time is get a lawyer you know asbestos was in there is in those buildings lead is in those buildings there are the, the VOCs however the concentrations are such that they don't pose a health hazard not one doubt in my mind that we will fail we have heard that a half a million children have died I mean, that's more children than died when, when, in Hiroshima. And, and, you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. There are white folks, and then there are ignorant like you. So, I mean, it really, it really almost makes you ask the question, would it have been better if we never invented the Internet? And a woman that looks like that has to have her own special scent. Oh, thank you. Maybe, maybe you could tell me what you think of this scent. You ain't my bitch, nigga. Buy your own damn fries. All right, as I say, I think truth comedy can be an effective way of spreading this information to people who have those mental blocks up around this type of information. And... I do make a lot of this myself, so in the interest of putting my work where my mouth is, I am officially launching a new DVD, Laughing at Tyrants, uh, which is a collection of the funny videos from the Corbett Report, 
on this idea of truth comedy that is really and truly meant to be a resource for people who are spreading this information to people who are resistant to it. Hey, it's a funny little DVD with some funny little political satire. Why don't you take a look? And I really do think that this could be a key for unlocking a lot of those minds with some of these benign violations. Hey guys, it's funny. Hey, take a look at this. And it really drills this information further into people's heads than you would expect. This DVD is uh, going to run around 80, 80 minutes, 90 minutes, and is 11 different uh, reports that I've done over the years. The 9-11 JFK and OKC conspiracy theory videos, how to foil your own terror plot, that interview with Benny Wills and the iPhone 5 NSA video that we just watched, shut up conspiracy theorists, stuff government says, danger, nullify NSA gaining ground, the doublespeak dictionary, emergency warning for office workers about WTC, WTC7 that we talked about earlier, and uh, the complete video of my presentation earlier this year to Anarchapoco, How to Free Your Tax Cattle. Okay, here we go. A short time ago, in a boardroom not so far away. <laughs> and, then, and then we told them it was jet fuel. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> ah, Mr. President. So glad you could join me once again. Late as usual, but uh, it doesn't really matter. You're going to be gone soon enough, aren't you? With your little golden parachute, you will sail off to the sunnier climes of some foreign country, I'm sure, to live the rest of your days in peace. You have served us well enough, I suppose. In fact, things are going remarkably well. We're making incredible progress in our conditioning to the, the public to enjoy their servitude. We've implemented bans on, bans on collecting rainwater, bans on feeding the homeless, bans on drinking raw milk. There seems to be absolutely no end to which the public will not submit themselves to us. In that spirit, we're of course going to be instituting some new laws in the coming months that you'll be announcing shortly. Uh, one is that there will be uh, only pizza eaten on Tuesdays. Uh, cars, uh, blue cars, will not be driven in, car, in cities with the letter C in their names uh, starting next month. And then towards the end of the year, we're thinking about party hats, mandatory for all breakfasts. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, let's see, what else? Oh yes, next month you're going to be announcing the invasion of Blamibia. Uh, you're going to be mobilizing 500,000 troops for a five-year commitment at five and a half trillion dollars. What was that? Yes, I know Blamibia is not a country, but do you think that really matters? <laughs> Have we taught you nothing in your years as puppet mouthpiece for us? Wait, look who I'm talking to. Well, I know you're not exactly the, uh, the sharpest knife in the drawer, Mr. President, and I know... Uh, I know you don't read very much, if at all. No, comic strips don't count. Uh, but let me, let me share with you a book that I do not have to hand. <laughs> do you know what this is, Mr. President? The Invasion from Mars by Hadley C. Cantrell. Hadley C. Cantrell was one of our boys at the Princeton Radio Project back in the 1930s. Uh, one of Nelson's roommates and uh, back in college. And 
Nelson. Nelson Rockefeller. Yes, 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 that Nelson, Mr. President. And Hadley C. Cantrell wrote this study in 1940 of the 1938 Orson Welles radio broadcast that panicked the nation of the United States. It was a remarkable operation, so within, within weeks, the Princeton Radio Project organized to study the effect of that radio broadcast on the population. Why did up to a million Americans panic, literally believing they were being invaded by Martians based on nothing else other than a radio dramatization of an H.G. Wells novel? Well, this study, of course, found some of the details, and they're quite remarkable. But let's read from the preface of the 1966 edition of this publication, in which Cadley C. Cantrell wrote, On Halloween night 1938, Orson Welles and his Mercury Theater on the Air dramatized H.G. Wells' fantasy, War of the Worlds, so realistically and effectively that at least a million Americans became frightened and thousands were panic-stricken. The study reported in this book was launched immediately after the broadcast and gives an account of the major psychological reasons for the mass behavior involved. Since the publication of The Invasion from Mars in 1940, I have often been asked whether I thought such a thing could happen again. The questioners usually imply that we are now somehow too sophisticated to be taken in by anything so fanciful. Unfortunately, I have always had to reply that of course it could happen again today, and even on a much more extensive scale. In this study of the most widespread panic of recent times, we are not dealing just with a bit of isolated science fiction pertinent to only to one particular time and place. As this little book shows, we are, on the contrary, dealing with an episode of human behavior brought about by a pattern of circumstances providing a matrix for high suggestibility. Such a pattern is by no means absent today, though it would now be fashioned out of new and different ingredients. Since the Halloween boo of 1938, we have seen the development and use of atomic weapons. We know about the existence of intercontinental ballistic missiles and their immense destructive power, and we hear talk of satellites spinning about our tiny globe carrying atomic warheads that could be quickly guided to any point on target on Earth. Such destructive forces against which there appears to be so little protection can only enhance the possibility of delusions that would be even more plausible than the invasion of Martians and that would not require the combined talents of H.G. Wells and Orson Wells to set it off. Do you know what this means, Mr. President? Let me give you an example. In this study, we found that 48 percent of those who panicked, believing that they were being invaded by Martians, did not do so much as turn the station to try to find out if that information was true. They sat there horrified, panic-stricken, in many cases packing up their belongings and heading for the hills, believing that Martians were coming from outer space to destroy them with death ray beams, and they couldn't be bothered to twist their arm a little to verify that information. Do you really think that humanity has changed in the past half century, Mr. President? <sighs> it's so glorious being one of us and watching them scurrying around like little ants, doing what we say, doing our bidding as we please. Nothing 
can derail our agenda. I'll edit this better afterwards. <laughs> All right, once again, I hope that I've demonstrated today that truth and com comedy can be mixed, and can be mixed effectively so for turning people onto this information, if not through my own work, but any of the work of the people out there who are attempting to combine truth-related information with comedy. It can and is being done. It is an effective tool. It is not the solution. It is not going to revolutionize the world overnight, but it is going to unlock minds that are otherwise unlockable. And I think it's very true today what Oscar Wilde observed over a century ago, that if you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh Otherwise, they will kill you. And uh, that's probably more true than, uh, than most people would even think at first glance. But there you go. We laugh at the funny phrase and then realize that it's actually true. And it's not just about spreading information or unlocking people's minds. I think that it's an important thing to do to look at the absurdity, the utter absurdity of what we are expected to believe in this day and age. And not laugh at it. That, that to me, seems strange, that we can be so normalized, so inculcated and familiarized with this, this tyrannical system of control over top of us that we don't even laugh at it. We see the emperor without clothes, and yes, we might get outraged. He's not wearing clothes. But let's keep that childlike perspective in mind. It's funny. It's stupid. It's absurd. Let's laugh at the tyrants. And in so doing, we preserve something fundamental in our humanity. We are not robots to be programmed that this is the new normal and we must get outraged and, and upset by it. We still understand what is normal and what is real, and we will still laugh. And as long as we are laughing, we are still human, free and autonomous human beings. It's when that is programmed out of us that I'm going to get very nervous. So let's try to maintain something of a sense of humor, no matter how bleak and grim things may seem. I think it is truly one of the things that separates us from the tax cattle that they so desperately want us to be. And on that heady note, let's end it there today. Once again, you can support this work directly. Purchase a copy of Laughing at Tyrants from the Corbett Report. $15 includes shipping and handling anywhere in the world. I think it's a good deal. You help support this work and you get something that I truly think will unlock some minds out there. So once again, thank you for tuning in for this week's edition of the Corbett Report podcast. I'm your host, James Corbett. Looking forward to talking to you again real soon. Give to the big issue seller Cause he's probably on heroin I walk past him with a grin And if I can I kick his dog No I don't give to the busker He's talentless and lazy He's ruining the country The Corbett Report presents Laughing at Tyrants The latest DVD from the producer of on the morning of September 11, 2001, 19 men armed with box cutters directed by a man on dialysis in a cave fortress halfway around the world. And... Well, today on the How To Podcast, we tell you how to foil your own terror plot. And... But that's called the death panel, uh, and you're not supposed to have that discussion. Shut up, conspiracy theorist. Twelve of the funniest Corbett Report videos on one video DVD. Buy one for yourself or share it with a friend. Because the best way to disarm a dictator is to laugh at him. Buy your copy today at corbettreport.com slash shop.